Good morning. morning. Welcome to Bridgewater Conklin. My name is Jeff. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here. I'm thrilled and excited that you chose to be with us here today. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, please. Acts chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, we've got them in the back there. Uh, You can go grab one. But Acts chapter 13, if you don't know where it's at, just open your Bible, let it fall open. You'll probably come to the middle and go hard, hard right. Keep on turning. Uh, turn your pages to the left and you'll come to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the book of Acts. And we'll get there in just a few short minutes. A couple things I want to reference and highlight. I want to address something that happened on this campus several weeks ago. There was a clandestine or covert, not COVID, but covert operation that per- was perpetrated unbeknownst to me, without my knowledge. And uh, you know, if this ever happens again, seriously, thank you. Thank you for those of you who participated in the gift that, um, that you gave me. That was supposed to be a joke, by the way. I, it didn't go over very good the first service either. <laughs> so the clandestine thing was no one told me about it until I walked up here and got surprised. But thank you. Thank you. Seriously, thank you so much. Uh, you'll never know how much that touched Wendy and I's hearts to, to have you guys recognize and say thank you. Um, so thank you. It, Often I think of Luke chapter 17, verse 10, when, th- when people talk about this, and the, that passage says this, we are unworthy servants, for we have done that which was our duty to do. God called me to be a pastor, and he called me to come to Conklin for the last four, four plus years, and I'm simply doing my job, doing what he asked me to do, and I, and I love doing what I do, but thank you so much for saying thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, as you can see, Pastor Tim is away. Um, he is in Tuncanic today, uh, doing, uh, going to all the campuses. So he'll be back next week. Um, next week, we're starting a brand new series in, in 1 Corinthians called Dealing with Church Unity. So it's something that we all can deal with. Uh, next week's going to be a, a really great week. In the first service, there are two baptisms. In the second service, there's one baptism. We're celebrating communion during both services. So it's a very busy day. So I'm looking forward to being here, looking forward to being here with you as well. One last thing before we dive into our talk for today. Last week, we, um, we highlighted guest services as an area that where they need people to serve. Uh, Over the summer, we lost uh, several people, and a lot of them are guest services. And the response we got last week when we asked for volunteers was very underwhelming. Um, One person, one person came up and said they'd be willing to, to, to consider that. So let me try something a little different. I want you to remember the first time you walked through those doors, the welcomed you felt how welcomed, how, how you were greeted, how warm. Someone offered you a cup of coffee. Maybe they shook your hand. They said, welcome, we're glad you're here. Wouldn't you want other new people who come here for the first time to have that same welcome? Wouldn't you want them re- to receive that, to feel that same greeting that you did? You can be a part of their story. You can be a part of their story when they say, man, when I walked in that door, this person greeted me. I don't know who they were, but it was this fat, bald guy, and he was so friendly. It was awesome. Wouldn't you want to be a part of that? Here's my, here's my challenge. Try it for three months. Try it for four months. Do it for once a week for three or four months. See if you like it. You get these fancy blue name tags like Reed had on, and you can feel official. You can't use them for anything. That and five bucks will get you a donut at Krispy Kreme. But um, try it out. You, all you got to do is got to be here 15, 20 minutes early just to stand at the door and say, hey, welcome. We're glad you're here. Welcome. We're glad you're here. 
Okay, so let's jump in. We're doing, a, we're to, uh, this is the mission series. This is uh, not series, just a message. This is a one and done. Uh, we call this uh, a topical message. So we're going to talk about going to the ends of the earth. And you saw a video uh, about some people that went to, um, I actually don't know where that's from, but as I watched it last night, it kind of stirred my soul and got me a little emotional about people going and reaching lost for Christ. So I want to start with some questions to kind of get the creative wheels moving. So here's a question. How far would you go to save someone you love? How far would you go to save someone you love? What would you be willing to do? To what length would you go to save somebody that you love? I mean, I know what I would do if my family or my grandson or was in danger. I know what I would do, but what would you be willing to do to save someone you love? I want you to check out this picture. This is Sean Cunningham and his son. I don't know them, but um, they, were, they went across the internet a couple years ago. Here's what Sean did to save his son. Uh, he saved his uh, face from sure danger from that bat flying in there at a spring training game at some time. Okay, uh, the next picture is uh, Jonathan and um, Jonathan Stevens and his wife and family. They are from Britain, and they were on vacation uh, in the ocean. I'm not sure what ocean they were in. But they were in the ocean, and the three older kids got caught in a riptide and were being taken out to sea. Jonathan heroically was able to save all three kids, but lost his life. To what length would you go to save someone you love? Uh, John, David Anderson is the next guy. I'm, I'm going to hold off on the picture. It's reported that his three- or four-year-old daughter fell 20 feet into the East River some time ago. And onlookers said it looked like a movie scene with this guy running across the dock, throwing off his shoes and his coat and his wallet and his iPhone and, and dove in to save his daughter. Here's a picture of them being pulled out of the East River. To what length would you go to save somebody that you love? Let's switch it up a little bit. To what length would you go to save somebody that you didn't love? Maybe that you didn't even know. What would you be willing to do to save someone that you didn't know? Think about Anne Frank and her family, what they did while living in Nazi Germany and how they saved all those Jewish families from going to the death camps. They ultimately paid with their life when they were sent to one of those death camps. Think about what she did to save somebody that she didn't even know. This next slide here is Harriet Tudman, Thaddeus Stevens, and John Brown. Anybody know what they're famous for? Underground Railroad, very good. Um, this is John Brown, by the way. He's the guy that's made that attack on the Harper's Ferry, on the Marine place down at Harper's Ferry. If you ever looked that up, it's pretty cool. Anyway, um, it's been stated about these three people, and there's several more I could have chosen as well. They saved thousands from slavery via the Underground Railroad. What would you be willing to do to save people that you don't even know? Words... Uncommon valor and, uns and selflessness come to my mind when I think about these things. And I often wonder, how would I respond? Would I respond like these people respond if similar circumstances were placed in front of me? How would other people respond? There's one person that I know how they responded when, when they were asked to save people that didn't love them, and that was Jesus. Jesus went to the cross to die for people that spite him, that spit in his face, that hate him. You know what else he did? Jesus is willing to go to the ends of the earth 
to save those people, to give them the opportunity. That's been his plan from day one. Because while you and I love a few people, he loves all people. And God and Jesus, Jesus, and, they want everybody to have the chance for eternal life. They want everyone to hear the gospel, to have the chance for eternal life. His plan has been from the beginning and still is today, each one reach one. Each one reach one. At Bridgewater, we say something like this, found people, find people. You know, it wasn't God's plans, it wasn't Jesus' plan to come to earth and overthrow the Roman Empire and set himself up as king. He could have done that. He could have easily done that. But no, his plan was to change the world one person at a time. One person at a time. And that is the mission of the church. And that is the mission for everyone who is following Jesus. Each one reach one. And that's your mission here today if you are a Christ follower, making more disciples. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a passage in Acts chapter 13. We're going to see how this mission started. It's actually the beginning of the first missionary journey uh, by Paul and Barnabas. And Acts is actually a journal written by Dr. Luke. Luke's the man who wrote the book of Luke. And Acts is his journal. He journaled and took a record of what happened with the, with the Acts of the Disciples. You, so you should already be there in your Bible or your electronic device. Like I mentioned, we have free Bibles back there. But if you don't have a Bible, all of our passages will be on the screen today so you can follow along. So Acts chapter 13, I want to give you some background. I want to give you some context so you get the idea of what's going on here before we jump in to the passage. It's about 86 AD. It's about 10 years after the resurrection. And at this point, almost every Christian on earth is Jewish. And it makes sense because the Savior was Jewish it was a Jewish religion um, taught in Jewish synagogues, so it makes sense. And the church called a Jewish pastor and a Jewish deacon, Paul and Barnabas, to be the first missionaries to carry out this mission. And here in chapter 13, at the beginning, we learn that they're heading north into what is now present-day Turkey. And they're going out to tell, their strategy was to talk to Jews because Jews had the Bible, the Old Testament, they understood it, and so it would, their, their, the plan was to tell the Jews so they could tell more Jews and eventually tell the Gentiles and spread the gospel throughout the, the known world. So when Paul and Barnabas arrived in Pistadin, Antioch, on, on the Sabbath day, they went to church. They went to the synagogue on Saturday, and when they were there, the leaders of the church, or we might call them the pastor, or the father, depending on the, the church they were in, and they invited them to share a word of exhortation. In chapter 13, verses 14 or 15 and 16, it talks about them inviting them to share a word of exhortation. Well, Paul and Barnabas, it says they were received so well that after the church service, the, the religious leader said, hey, why don't you come back next week? We'll give you the whole service. So they came back the next Sabbath day, and that's where we pick it up in verse 44 of chapter 13. So follow along in the Bible or your copy, or follow along here on the screen as we dive in. Chapter 13, verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So like I had said, the first Saturday, a few people were there. And the people that heard Paul and Barnabas said, man, they went out and said, you got to hear this guy. Come on, come to church with me. You got to hear this guy. And almost the whole city showed up. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with just jealousy. Now, I want you to understand something. The word Jews there, it's referring not to the people in the city, but it's referring to the, the leaders of the church. So the leaders of the church saw the crowds. They were filled with jealousy. 
They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. So they started beating him down and started contradicting what he was saying. Verse 46, then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Remember, they were sent to the Jews, so they had to go to the Jews first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. Okay, Jewish people, Jewish leaders, you're going to reject it. We're going to go to the Gentiles. For that's what the Lord commanded us. And then this, this is a quote from Isaiah. It's about 700 years old at the time. He says this, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So Paul and Barnabas, they get contradicted. They start picking on them. And Paul and Barnabas says, okay, fine. You reject this. We're now going to go to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That's what they're going to do. Paul and Barnabas were, asked to, were told, we're, we're going to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Look at verse 50. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. The Jewish leaders, that's the church people, they incited God-fearing women of high standing. Think about, uh, that's people who run the city. Maybe tax collectors, um, I'm not sure who the women would be, but leading men. So it's leading men and women, God-fearing men and women of the city, tax collectors, people who run the city, people in power. These are people in power that they incited to, um, they, they had persecution against Paul. Now listen, when you, when you hear the word power, don't think military power. Don't think local mafia or motorcycle gangs like the Punishers. No, think about well-respected, influential people, that type of power, politicians, the passage says they were God-fearing people. Those are the type of people that they were stirring up. You know something? Some of Jesus' biggest enemies then and now are church people, are religious people. It's unfortunate, but it is true. Let's continue on with what happens. Verse 51. So they shook the feet, excuse me, they shook the dust off their feet and warned them. So that's a reference to when, when the, the Jesus said, if they reject you, shake the dust off your feet. In other words, you're removing God's blessing from them, from the city. So that's what they were doing. They shook the dust off their feet and warned them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. So they spoke the first Saturday. It went over good. They spoke the second Saturday. Problems arose. They started getting persecuted in problems and uh, persecuted in, in trouble, and so they left, and they were filled with joy. How does that happen? How do they get filled with joy because of all the bad things that happened? Well, I think there are two reasons. I think, number one, because people were responding. I mean, the jump in attendance from the first Saturday to the second Saturday, I suspect there were lots of people who accepted Christ during that time as well. I think the fact that the Jewish leaders were jealous really speaks to that. And number two, here's something that... Um, it's really interesting. They were being persecuted. That's why they were joyful as well. They were filled with joy because they were being persecuted. Now, how does that work? Well, they remembered what Jesus had told the disciples back. Look at Matthew chapter 10 here on the screen. Matthew chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and flogged or beaten in the synagogues. Verse 18. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings and witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Jesus said, hey, 
when you're out there spreading my gospel, you're going to catch it. You're going to get beat. You're going to get flogged. Just, just expect it. Peter also mentions this to the, the Christians later on. Look at verse, chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal, that's persecution, that has come on you to test you. As though something strange were happening. Don't think it's something strange. Expect it. Don't be surprised. Next verse. But rejoice in so much as you participate in the suffering of Christ. Be joyful that you're participating with my suffering so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So basically what it means is this. Jesus said to them, and Paul and Barnabas knew this, if you're being persecuted because of your witness for Christ, that means you're on the right track, you're doing the right thing, be, be glad and be joyful. It was confirmation to them. If that happens to you as well, it's confirmation. So verse 51, it says, they shook the dust off their feet as a sign to remove the God's blessing, and they went on to Iconium. There in Iconium, they discovered that there was a plot to kill Paul and Barnabas, so they fled to Lystra. When they got to Lystra, this is what happened, verse 19. Then some of the Jews came from Antioch. Those are the leaders we talked about at the first from that city. And Iconium and won over the crowd. They stirred up the crowd. They, they lied to the crowd, got them fired up and whipped into a frenzy. And they stoned Paul, dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. That's the beginning of God's plan to reach the whole world for Christ. That's the beginning of the first missionary journey. Doesn't sound like it went over too well, does it? But man, did it go over great. It was unbelievable. So here's my question for you. We'll get into some of the greatness here in a few moments. Paul and Barnabas were a threat to those people. Are you willing to be a threat to people in power? Are you willing to be a threat? They were a threat because they were pulling, they were pulling a people, people away from the Jewish leaders, whatever they were doing. Are you willing to stick out and get hammered down? There's a Japanese proverb that says, the nail that sticks out gets hammered down. Are you willing to be a threat and stick out? You know, here in America, we are quick to stick out. We are quick to jump on the bandwagon to get into protest. We're quick to act like we want to be all that and get out there and really do stuff online, behind a screen. We're really quick to say we're going to do something around the dinner table or at the bar on first Friday night with your friends. But here's what I wonder for myself. I wonder if I was faced with the type of persecution and abuse that Paul and Barnabas faced, would I fit in and comply? Or would I stick out and get hammered down? I certainly hope I would stick out. I certainly hope I wouldn't fit in and comply. Fortunately, it hasn't come to America yet. That hammering is coming. As a matter of fact, it's already come to some. You know that speech and disagreement are already being silenced by those people in power. They're, they're doing it now. I know some of you probably have experienced that. So here's my caution. This is where the church and Christ followers must be wise and not waste our credibility. Okay, now I want to share something with you. This is not Pastor Jeff telling you what you should do. This is Pastor Jeff telling you what he does 
and how I handle things. For me, if I'm going to get persecuted, if I'm going to get hammered down, it's going to be about Jesus and because of my love for people. If I'm going to get persecuted and stick out like a sore thumb, it's going to be because I'm radical about my faith, not about vaccines or mandates or anything else. It's going to be about how I show love to people. That's, that's where I come down. That's how I've chosen to do it because I don't want to lose my credibility and not be able to share the gospel with, with everybody. Listen, you want to be a rebel? You want to do something subversive and truly over the edge? Help someone come to Christ. Help someone come to Jesus as their Savior. Teach someone about the gospel. Help start another campus. Work on our teen ministry and our kids' ministry. Serve in our guest services. Invite people to come to church. Share the gospel with your boss or your neighbor or your postman or woman. Share the gospel with your high school student's teacher. Share the gospel with as many people as possible. You want to be truly subversive and stick out and be a threat? Do that. Laws are put in effect by politicians. We know that. Politics and politicians are affected by culture. You know who shapes culture? Individuals. Change individuals, and you can change laws. It takes a long time, but it happens. Of course, it's not fast, and it's not flashy, but it is, it is grassroots, and it starts from the bottom. That's what Jesus was obsessed with. That was his game plan. That's how he did it. Listen, he could have conquered the Roman Empire. We know that this, at this point, the Roman Empire was killing Christians. Nero was burning them on the stake and throwing them, into, throwing them to be eaten by animals, live, uh, wild animals. He could have overthrown them. He could have come out and overthrown them, did, did a takeover. But he literally turned his back and walked away. He chose to do it differently. He chose to conquer people's hearts one at a time. And you know what happened? 280 years later, 313 AD, this evil Roman Empire that had been killing Christians stopped killing Christians and declared itself to be a Christian nation. It took almost 300 years for the Roman Empire to be changed one person at a time. Are you willing to wait 200 years for God to change America, to bring it back to a Christian nation? Are you willing to go wait five years or 10 years or 15 years for your mom, your dad, your husband, your wife, your kids, your grandkids to, be, to accept Jesus? How long are you willing to wait to follow, when you follow God's plan? See, Paul and Barnabas were a threat because they called people to Jesus and they were making an impact. If we're quiet and nice, we're not making an impact. But if people listen to you and you're beginning to change and people are going to give their lives to Christ and God is beginning to change them and they're not doing what the politicians want them to do and we're not revolved around their world anymore, watch out. That's a threat to the people in power. One person at a time, share the gospel. Let's bring it a little closer to home. Are you willing to be a threat to those in power? What's, what's the next question? Are you willing to bring salvation to those in need? Verse 47, we already read this, but look at it again. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Friends, that verse is for us. Paul and Barnabas were a light for Gentiles, and they started reaching the Gentiles, and the result is what you see here today. You're here 
because Paul and Barnabas started going to the Gentiles. Most of us in this room are Gentiles. I would say over 99% of us. I, I suspect that some, some people in here have some Jewish heritage. Maybe there's uh, someone who's a, a Jewish in here, but the word gen, that's what the word Gentile here means. If people of color, white people, Hispanics, Asians, Native Americans, we're all Gentiles. And how did the Gentiles respond as opposed to what the, uh, the Jews did? Look how the Gentiles respond to the to this, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Verse 49. And the word of the Lord spread throughout the entire region. Here's what you need to understand. What Paul and Barnabas started 2,000 plus years ago looks like this today. This is the result of what they started 2,000 years ago. That was God's plan back then, and that is God's plan still today. It is, it is con to continue to change people's lives today, one person at a time. And listen, let me be so bold to say this. I think the solution to most, almost everything that's wrong in our world today is God's plan, the message of, of salvation. At the root of all our, 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 excuse me, at the root of all of our problems are people who need to make Jesus their Lord and Savior. That's the message of salvation. I mean, think about it. Racism and slavery and broken homes and addiction and suicide and orphanage, orphans and AIDS. That can all be solved with the message of salvation. The solution is to bring them the message of salvation. So what exactly is the message of salvation? It is simply this. We cannot be good enough to save ourselves, so Jesus died for us. That's it. That's the message of salvation. He invites us, he invites you to give your life, to give our lives to him and to follow him. Maybe you had an argument with your spouse or your children or somebody yesterday or maybe even on the, word, uh, on, the, on the way to church today. If you haven't given your life to Christ, the solution to fixing the problems in your life is to give it to him. If you haven't done that yet, why not? Make today the day you choose to follow Christ. If you have given your life to Christ, then your mission is to bring the message of salvation to as many people as possible and to invite them to follow Jesus with you. So how far are you willing to go to save somebody, share the gospel with somebody that you love? Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a moment right now, and I want you to think about people that God has put in your world. Maybe it's someone you work with. Maybe it's a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter or a neighbor or somebody. Think about someone in your life that needs Christ. You know they need Christ. One or two people, God's going to bring that picture, that person's face to your mind. Maybe it's your grandkids, whatever it is. On your way out, you're going to get offered one of these cards. Uh, we call them Pi Squared, Pray, Invest, Invite. And you can see there are three lines on there. So that person's face that you're seeing right now in your mind's eye, write their name right on there. And then pray for that person. Invest in their life. And invite them to have coffee. Invite them to read a book. Invite them to read the Bible. Come to small group. Invite them to church. On the back is Acts 13, 47. For this is what the Lord has commanded you. I have made you a light for the nations, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. You're going to get offered one of these. I encourage you to pick one up and take it with you and write that name down there and reach those people that God has put in your circle of influence for Christ. Now I want to switch gears here a little bit and try to change a little bit. Uh, we're still reaching the ends of the earth, but I just want to switch gears a little bit. I think you would agree as human beings 
that we tend to focus on negative things a lot. I mean, think about the house you're in. It's a great house, right? But what, when you think about your house, what do you focus on? That one, one or two negative things. You know, I can think that my house maybe has three to 4,000 nails or wood sheet metal screws, wood drywall screws in it. And which one do I think about? The one that's popped out. I think about the bad things all the time. We tend to do that with our cars or whatever. So at times, I think we get the impression that the world is winning. And Christianity is soon going to be overwhelmed and swallowed and is no longer going to be viable on this earth. I mean, God's plan to love and reach the world started out great with Paul and Barnabas. We can read about thousands of people coming to Christ in one day. But, man, it's starting to fizzle out. It's really not, doesn't have what it, doesn't have the oomph that it used to have. Well, I want to share with you one of the best kept secrets in modern day history, or modern, modern age, excuse me. Now, I cut out a bunch of, a bunch of these things that are good news because of, of time constraints. I just want to share one with you. Why? Because I, I hope it'll give you the, um, say, hey, I want to get on this team. I want to be a part of this. I want to give you God's perspective that winning people one by one, God's way is working. So take a look at this chart. So let me explain it to you. Of course, we have numbers of people in hundreds, and then this is uh, a timeline down here. The blue represents believing Christians in millions. So the controversy will be believing Christian. What is the definition of a believing Christian? Because we've had several presidents in the past 20 years say that they're Christians and Christ followers who clearly weren't. So in this illustration, a believing Christian is someone who says they read, believe, and obey the Bible. Okay, so that's what this blue line represents. But see, that's not the point of this graph. The point of this graph is this. Christianity is growing by leaps and bounds and is slowly overtaking the world. For instance, in 100 AD, there were half a million Christians. That's the blue line, people who read, believe, and obey the Bible. Okay, in 2020, we now estimate 885 million people who read, believe, and obey the Bible. Christianity is not dying. It is growing. The orange lines represent how many people on earth per believing Christian. In 100 AD, there were 360 people for one Christian. Because this blue line has, has gone straight up almost, at this point in 2020, the number is now nine people for every believing Christian. That's a huge increase. Christianity is not dying. Jesus' mission and Jesus' plan to reach people one at a time is working. I could tell you about Bible translations. I could tell you about extreme poverty, but I'm not going to do that today. Jesus' mission, reaching one person at a time, is working. That's why leading people one by one to Christ is better than winning an election because it's grassroots, and people stay last longer. Granted, it's slower, but it lasts longer and is longer-lasting. See, when Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and you may have it to the full, this is what he's talking about. So here's another question for you. What organization could be more exciting than, than the church? What mission could be more fulfilling than serving the almighty creator in his work to transform the world? Yeah, you know something? The world is in pretty bad shape. It's messed up really bad. You know, and COVID and how the governments has responded and screwed things up, it's made it worse than better. 
But God is still on the move. He is still actively reaching people for Christ. Part of the reason we don't see it here in America is because God isn't necessarily doing his greatest work in America. You read about the church in Afghanistan or North Korea or the Sudan or India or places like that. It's growing by leaps and bounds. In America, we're fat, proud, and lazy. And God says he resists the proud. So God isn't necessarily doing his greatest work in America. He's still working in America. But you know something? The church was given to us. It's, it's a gift from God. And I love the church. I've given my life to the church and what it means. You know something? This is what inspires me to get up and love people who hate. To love on you people. This is what gets me up in the morning. Because I love the church. Everybody needs to know someone who's a Christian. Everybody needs, have, needs to have access to a Bible. Everyone needs a church to support them as they follow Jesus. Maybe you'd be willing to be part of that support group. I want to share with you some, introduce you some people who have given their lives completely to take the message of Christ to the end of the world. First one I want to introduce you to, uh, Ruth Rising. She works for Bethesda Children's Home in South Africa. This is a children's a school there. All, all the kids here are orphans because of AIDS. Next slide. This is a picture of Ruth. Uh, she's been there for right around uh, I think a little over 25 years serving. She's given her life to serve in uh, the children's home. Um, she actually grew up at Ross Corners Baptist Church and graduated from the school, and she's a friend of mine. I know her well. In 2014, we took a group to the Bethesda Children's Home to minister there, and while we were there, we built this greenhouse. This was a greenhouse that we built while we were at the children's home. Hopefully, uh, I'll get to lead a, a missions trip back to there sometime soon. The next person I want to meet, introduce you to is Phil Melton. He reaches people in Japan for the, with the gospel of Christ. He does a camping ministry there. The next group of people, uh, people is the, um, the Douglases, Steve and Debbie. So the Miltons and Steve and Debbie are supported by us here at this campus. They're in Akita, Peru. They're, they're planting new churches down in Akita, Peru. Actually, on our Welcome Center, we have this flyer, this booklet. It talks about and shares uh, little bios on all of our missionaries that, that Bridgewater serves, that Bridgewater uh, supports. So if you want to read about that, please uh, take that with you and take it with you uh, on your way out. Let me just mention our uh, funny-looking-with-a-hat worship guy up here, Mason. He actually grew up as a, as a missionary's kid in Papua, Papua New Guinea. And his wife, Becca, she grew up in Paraguay as a missions kid as well. And Mason has shared with me that it is their intention and their heartfelt desire to go back to the mission field sometime and share for a share to a people group, the gospel of Christ. Another group that we support, next slide, is Food for the Hungry. When you came in, maybe you saw a table in the back and you heard Lane talk about it and the feed. We partner with this organization. They feed hungry children uh, in Guatemala and other uh, third world countries. So they have a table set back there. The Owens are there. I would encourage you to stop in and be a part of it. You know, maybe God's calling you to foreign missions like Ruth Rising and Becca and Mason. But if he's not calling you to foreign missions, maybe, maybe you can go on a wilderness, or not a wilderness, excuse me, a, a missions trip to Guatemala. Hopefully we'll get those kicked off in a, this year or next. 
Or maybe, you, maybe God wants you to support children with food for the hungry. But I know for sure, if you're a Christ follower, he's called you to reach people in your world of influence. That's no doubt. Let's consider what step, what step you need to take today. In the next 365 days, in the next year, 60 million people will die. And that's not related with COVID. That's just, they're going to die. That's 165,000 a day. We have the good news, but the good news of the gospel is only good news if it gets to them in time. And if we drop the ball and it doesn't get to someone in my circle of influence in time, listen, can you tell me anything more important that I can give my life to? More important than that. If you can, please tell me. But if not, please pray that God will give you and me, alive in this generation, Give us the privilege of finishing the task of reaching people for Christ, the task of everyone having the opportunity to hear about Jesus. So who are you going to tell? Who are you going to invite? Who are you going to put in that card? Who are you going to pray for that God would use you to change their heart, that God would use you to share the gospel, the message of salvation? Listen, do you want to be part of this movement? Please join us. I'd love to have you as a teammate. How far would you go to share the message of, the sal of salvation with somebody you don't even know? Let's pray. God, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the challenge we heard this morning of taking the gospel to people that we don't know, the people that we may not love, the people that may even hate you. And thank you for the message and the example of Paul and Barnabas and what they did for the first missionary journey and how they left it all on the table. I pray now for the individuals that are sitting here that might feel that little tug in their heart. Uh, maybe it's missions. Maybe it's food for the hungry. Maybe it's on a missions trip. But for sure, God, maybe it's talking to their neighbor, talking to a co-worker. I pray, God, that today they would not leave here without making a decision to talk to that person. Maybe there's someone here that needs to give their life to you, God. I pray that you would encourage them to come talk to me or somebody else and give their life to you. Thank you, God, for this passage and what we learned today about taking your message to the ends of the earth. In Christ's name, amen. Before we sing this next song,